Well, we, we return to Exodus 20 this morning, those ten words, ten commandments, covenant obligations that God has given to His redeemed people. These instructions, these commands are a gift from the Lord. Uh, it's important for us to uh, remember that as we read them and go over them. Uh, we don't have a list here in Exodus 20 of what we need for God to love us or stipulations that will somehow you know, help us measure up as Christians. I think we fall prey uh, to that sometimes as we read through the commands of God. You know, I'm, I'm not swearing as much as that person, or I go to church a lot more than that person, so therefore I'm, I'm a little higher on the, you know, on the Christian maturity level, so God is going to smile upon me and give me His blessing. Um, these aren't why the commands are here uh, for us. God gives us this word because He loves us. He wants to shape us as image bearers more into His likeness. Um, the way that we're supposed to, uh, uh, to live and glorify Him. So this is His very heart to us as we take in these uh, obligations. The first four commands have their focus on a love for God and our relationship with Him. We're going to wrap those, uh, that first tablet uh, this morning and then the, the final uh, six shift that focus to a love for neighbor in our relationship with those around us. So again, we're going to start with the preamble and read through verse 11 this morning. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and, and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is God's good word to His people. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You that You give us what You know we need as Your redeemed people. And so, Lord, we thank You for this word to us, this command that we've heard so many times before and yet have been reminded already this morning and confess before You that we do not keep it well. Forgive us. Remind us anew now, Holy Spirit, as, as You teach us that we need this day of rest. That You've given us what we need because You love us. Because You care for us. Help us in our understanding, Lord. And whatever is helpful and truthful, uh, that You would work that into our hearts and our minds. Whatever, whatever is untrue or unhelpful this morning, that You would block that out entirely. As we give our attention now to your word, we ask your help in Jesus' name. Amen. The Flying Scotsman. 
soon as I say that, some of you know exactly who it is I'm talking about. Others, if I mention the film Chariots of Fire, may know who I'm talking about. Eric Little, the Flying Scotsman. Eric had made the Olympic team, of course he was from Scotland, made the UK Olympic team in 1924 to run the 100 meters. But he learned on the trip over that the 100 meters was to be held on a Sunday. And Eric was Christian. He'd been brought up in a Christian home, faithful disciple of Christ. Um, and he had determined that he, you know, he would not run on Sunday. All that he had been training for, preparing for this day. Um, but once he learned that it was going to be on a Sunday, he would not take part in that. So he withdrew from the 100 and was given the opportunity to run a race he had really not run before or ever anticipated doing well in at all. Um, and then 47 seconds later, I think, he breaks the world record in the 400 meters uh, when he ran that race. But think of this. The Olympics. Paris. Um, you know, is this... Uh, Could we have an exception here? I mean, this sounds a little bit crazy. Um, you know, I, I think about you know, the term, what, what we consider to be old-fashioned or out-of-date. I've had a few conversations over the years about the importance of you know, a young man who is, is seeking to marry, going to the family, particularly the, the father of the, the young woman, asking for permission to marry. You know, now that is considered so old-fashioned. And out of date. I mean, do people even do that anymore? Um, and what Eric Little you know, did would seem just as old-fashioned, maybe even more so today. Um, but to our detriment, when something is considered old-fashioned, it's often dismissed, no longer important. You know, for a more progressive time, there are lots of things that would fit in that category of old-fashioned, but a Sabbath observance or Sunday observance, is that considered one of them? Something that's just outdated? No longer necessary for disciples of Christ. You remember the, the structure that we're looking at each of these commands now. The questions we're asking. What does this command tell us about ourselves? Why do we need this? How does Jesus then fulfill, transform this command? And what does obedience uh, look like? Uh, in this moment of redemptive history for God's people. So that's how we're going to approach this command as well. And uh, the people of Israel have received this command at the base of Mount Sinai, whether you know, there was an understanding of this or a clear prerogative beforehand of a Sabbath rest, before the Mosaic Law, we're not uh, exactly sure. It's not as clear. Uh, but the verses here make a reference to Genesis chapter 2 where God rests from His work of creating. So God does not institute rest in creation. There's no commandment given to His image bearers to rest. But God does set the seventh day apart for Himself. He rests. He enjoys what He's made. So the seventh day is different than the other six days. And if they're different for God, then they're going to be different for His image bearers. So it's not instituted at creation, but patterned after God's work and rest in creating. This, this pattern, this rhythm of work and rest, I'm going to say that over and over again this morning, is built in to 
the creation of the world. So it should be built in to our lives as well as image bearers of God. And so I guess we could say what has been built in in creation, that has now been officially documented or recorded here as a principle in the life of God's people. So there's a day, a day in the week, unlike the other six days, because it's been set apart by God. He's blessed it. He gives special attention to this day. Which doesn't mean the other six days are less important or somehow weaker days than this day. But if there is a day of feasting and resting, there must be days that aren't feasting and resting. And we see this significance of the seven-day pattern unfold throughout the Old Testament. In fact, the Lord's already been working this rhythm of work and rest in the life of the people on their journey in the wilderness. People needed food. So God provides manna, tells them to pick the manna in the morning of the six days. On that, and on that sixth day, there would be more so they could bring in extra in their, for the seventh day. Some listened, some didn't. But the Lord cared about their rest. He provided extra so that they would not have to work on that day. So this, the day of, of the week to rest, and as this sabbatical system continued in life of God's people as they settled in the promised land, um, they were to work the ground for six years. But on the seventh year, the ground needed a rest. And so there was no... Planting, sowing, pruning taking place in that year in those plots of land. Then we have seven Sabbath years. So you're picking up on the math here. Seven, every seven years. And then seven times seven is 49. You find this in Leviticus 25. After 49 years, it was a time for jubilee. Freedom throughout the land. So slaves are released. Debts are um, absolved. The land is returned. So this is all part of that pattern of work and rest. But here's the problem, or one of the problems, that underline why why we we need this rhythm of work and rest. Um, We don't rest. We don't. We don't believe rest is really all that important. Because we don't have time for it. We don't have time to rest could damage our reputation or the impression that others have of us that maybe we're lazy or we don't work real hard. Um, Listen to how you respond, how you're used to hearing responses to this question. So how are you doing? What's the common response? Well, I've been really busy, right? I've been really busy. You know, I've got this going on. This is, the family's got this and this happening, you know, almost like we're making excuses or complaining about our busyness, when in fact I think we're really proud of it. See all the work I'm doing? See everything that I'm busy with? And what's the typical response to that in our culture? Well, that's not a bad problem to have. Certainly better than the opposite, I guess. Right? Maybe you've heard some of those. Work and busyness is what we're all about. To the point where you don't often see our need for rest until it's too late. You know, it's probably no surprise by now that Americans work more in the week than any other country, really, developing country. One statistic that I read, this one's over a decade old already, 
Um, this is in 2006. So Americans will average, on average, work 11 more hours per week than they did in 1979. So somehow, in, in that 27-year time span, from 79 to 2000, we found a whole extra day of work. I'm pretty sure the calendar didn't change. I'm pretty sure there's still 24 hours. But what have we gained? What have we lost from this? We need to be reminded in our society, we need to be reminded in the church that there's more to life than work. Maybe very good work. But again, whether it's overwork or underwork, we can violate this pattern that God has built in to the world. And we do so, we suffer. We're going to break down in one way or another. We don't heed this command to rest. If we're not faithful to this pattern. A study was done a few years ago on the rise of, of knee surgeries among young people, really those in their teenage years. And one orthopedic surgeon, he called it an epidemic because him and his team, they were operating on, on students, on teenagers. They had over 300 cases throughout the year where they were uh, repairing joints, knee joints, shoulders, elbows. Um, for you know, These kids were athletes. And that has just it's continued to increase exponentially. And you say, what's going on? Why is this happening? And the primary reason that they cited was just a lack of rest. You know, they don't have you know, overuse of these joints and these muscles. And you know, as the children are pushed to, to hone their skills, to, to play their sport all year long, their bodies don't have time to recover from the trauma of these athletic events. We need rest for our bodies. We need rest for our souls as well. We see that in this pattern that God has given to us. Uh, living up north, especially in Iowa, uh, I knew many people who you know, were out on the farm, they were working the land, they were doing all the chores uh, necessary to keep the farm going. Some of you have that experience growing up. Um, and they've told me, and I've witnessed this over and over again, you know, if they can get into the field, and it, it's been a, it's been a, a week of, of wet, rain, cloudy, and then when the clouds part and it's nice, you know, what's the one day that that happens on? They say, you know, the, the day the tractor breaks down, that would probably be one answer. But how often was it on that day that the New Testament church, the church ever since, has acknowledged and set apart as the Lord's day? Talk more about that day. But the temptation is to get out there. The temptation is to work. You know, the weather's clear. There's expectations that need to be met. We have to bring the crop in. It always seems to fall on Sunday. But God, God has graciously given us His command. He's given us His law to free us from worry. To free us from the anxiety that goes along with our everyday vocations and responsibilities. Sabbath rest, this pattern of working hard and resting, is an act of trust. It's a disciplined and predictable way to remind us that we're not in control. We don't need to keep the world running. We can't keep the world running. God is the one who keeps the world running. He is the one who provides for you and for your family. And the Sabbath rest reminds us that all these things are in His hands. In Exodus 34, 
which we'll get to eventually in our study of Exodus. It says, Six days you shall work, on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest time you shall rest. Sabbath observance takes faith. It really does. Requires a genuine trust in God who is capable of providing. We have six days to get the work done. Doesn't mean you not necessary or required to work on those six days, but that's that's the time frame. When we ignore this, when we treat the Sabbath that's now the Lord's day rest as any other day, we're at, we're, we're chipping away at our faith. It's not just our bodies; our faith needs this day of rest. And and if we're worried or anxious about what's not getting done on the Lord's day, then we're not really resting. So this command encourages that faith, frees us from being worn down by worry. So how has this word changed in the coming of Christ? See in the New Testament that Jesus has power over this day, that He is Lord of the Sabbath. We'll read this in Matthew chapter 12 or Mark chapter 2. The Pharisees accuse Jesus' disciples of violating this command as they pluck the heads of grain. And Jesus tells them that He has authority over what can or cannot be done on the Sabbath. Sabbath rest now revolves around Jesus. He owns it. He decides what life looks like, what service looks like on the Sabbath. And so the Jewish Sabbath, the Sabbath of the Old Testament, has shifted now to that first day of the week in the New Testament. The Sabbath and Sunday correspond in several ways which we won't have time to get into this morning. But the New Testament church gathered on the Lord's Day, on Resurrection Day. The need for rest and refreshment is actually transformed by the resurrection. Jesus is alive. His followers are alive in Him. They work and they rest now in Him. So the Sabbath rest in the Old Testament foreshadows the rest that is found in Jesus. So we think about this. Every aspect of the Sabbath He fulfills. He's Lord over all creation. He's established this divine pattern of work and rest. He's redeemed His people given them hope for an eternal rest. I want to focus on those last two aspects for a minute. Deuteronomy 5, we have a restating of this law. Listen to what it says in Deuteronomy 5 regarding this command. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. Now isn't that interesting? No mention of creation. For, as a grounding or for observing the Sabbath. What's the grounding here? The grounding here is redemption. Freedom from slavery. Rest from the oppression of the people under Pharaoh in Egypt. And then again, a land of their own. So the promised land, the place of a promised rest in Canaan, that is now fulfilled in the Lord Jesus So Jesus brings complete and final rest to His people. He is our rest. So it's only united with Christ, faith, that we can live out this Sabbath observance. 
And brothers and sisters, remember that this rest is ours right now. We have the promise of this rest that will someday be ultimate, someday be final. The promised land is already ours, but it awaits. The hope of heaven, that blessed country where our true citizenship lies. Perfect love, casting out fear, no more pain, no more suffering, no more illness, no more loneliness, no more separation. Our rest will be full. It's in that hope, that promise, in which we rest now. It gives us peace now. So we know what we're looking forward to. We know what is in store for the church. And if we know that, if Christ is our rest now, we're looking, for that, looking forward to that eternal rest, then we can celebrate that. We need to celebrate that now. You know, when you catch a, a show, maybe down here at the Robinson Center, or you go to a high school play or something like that, you have every reason to believe that that's not the first time that they've run through that in front of you. That they've practiced it a few times. That they've gone through a, a dress rehearsal where it is as close close to the real thing as it could be. And they're working out the kinks in their dress rehearsal. Probably not exactly what they would, would hope for yet. But it's preparing them for opening night. So God, God has given us this rhythm of work and rest for human flourishing. So what you and I are about right now is a dress rehearsal for an eternity of rest with our God. Not perfect by any means, we're working out the kinks as we worship together, as we serve alongside each other, spend time in fellowship. But think of this. God gives us a chance to practice, to rehearse every week. You know, to, to sort of come up for air, as it were, every seven days. To celebrate, look forward to that big show, an eternity of worship. What a gift that is that the Lord's given us. So appropriate ways to go about this observance about this dress rehearsal that we have. Worship of God in Christ is central uh, to this day. Leviticus 23, it says, Six days uh, shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. So a convocation is that unique gathering, that assembly. In this instance, it's a sacred assembly before the Lord. We find refreshment and rest Physically, but we find refreshment and rest spiritually, a gladness of heart as we come into His presence for worship. Enter His gates with thanksgiving, His courts with praise. So the Lord's day should be filled with praise. It should be filled with the fellowship of God's people. That's not easy, like we said, because of the work, work, work mentality that we have. And the mindset of so many of our time when it comes to the weekend is, well, there's Saturday, and then there's the day that I get done what I couldn't get done on Saturday. And if we can somehow fit God in somewhere in those two days, then we've sort of fulfilled the thrust of this command. But the pattern of work and rest, it's more than this. The worship of our God is to, is to be the center of our week. It's the focus you know, so tomorrow and Monday, Monday and Tuesday, you're thinking, man, that was, it was good to be with God's people. It was good to worship. It's given me some, you know, some confidence, some courage to go into this week. 
And then by the time you get to Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, you're thinking, oh, hang on. <laughs> hang on, it's coming. The feast is coming. That fuel the rest of the week, the continual Sabbath rest that is ours. You know, sometimes we scratch our heads, we read verses like this in the New Testament, Romans 14. One person esteems one day as better than another. Well, another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord, who gives thanks to God. So what's going on here? Is the Lord's day unique or not? Is Sunday, Sunday somehow different or not? You need to remember that every day is a Sabbath rest for those who are in Christ. We have a spiritual rest through faith every day. But that doesn't minimize or erase the pattern of work and rest. So that this rhythm that's built into our week is a reminder, a celebration of this. So the one who rests in Jesus, who's continually maturing, is going to long for the Lord's day every day. It should be the delight of their Christian that we can gather Lord tells us to delight in His goodness, to worship Him and the power of His Spirit. So, so worship corporately among God's people, worship privately. should be central to this weekly observance. Again, we mentioned how, how challenging this is. You know, I have a brother in Christ who would continue uh, to remind me the temptation to listen to Pastor Pillow and Reverend Sheets on Sunday morning. I mean, it's hard. I mean, I think it, it's safe to say that it takes work to rest on the Lord's Day. You must be in, in, in continually working as participants in worship, but also working to enjoy the rest that God's given us. Genesis 2, the Creator God stops His work and rests. It's not because you couldn't think of what else to do. It's not because God was tired that He needed a rest. He wanted, to sit, he wanted to enjoy what he's made. He said, this is, this is good. This is very good. I've got to take this in. We're to do the same. Enjoy the works of creation, the finished work of redemption. As we think about how to enjoy this day, I think that's where most conversations go when it comes to talking about this command in the Lord's day. Most will agree that, well, yeah, an observance is necessary, but how do we observe it? How do we enjoy the day? Uh, that's where the discussion often goes. Uh, in this way, we're all over the map, and that's okay. Um, working to enjoy the rest we've been given, for one, it's not easy, and it's going to look different from family to family within the confines of some important points. And I want to credit Jay Dalma here for highlighting some of these uh, features if we're to enjoy a day of rest that aligns with God's desires in this command, one of the ways we must be able to, to let go of the ordinary concerns that go along with the other six days. So I think you know, job concerns would be a part of that. But how we prioritize and schedule our free time is a part of that. You know, work and, and, and hobbies. Things we're focused on that, that, that go along with the everyday existence, they cannot control us as we go into the seventh day. I'm trying to think of an example of this. You know, we've 
got the boat or the bike or the plane or something like that. It's a beautiful Sunday. And so if we're thinking, you know, if I get everything just right, I got the dinner just right, if I could just bolt out of church fast enough, I can get maximum amount of time at the lake or on the road or, you know, whatever. And we may very well enjoy a nice bike ride or a boat ride on a Sunday afternoon. But if we, if we have to include those things, if we have to use that equipment, then, well, we're enslaved to it. And we're not resting. Here's another principle. Enjoying the day means enjoying other people and respecting the rest of other people. So the Old Testament observance, there was absolutely no discrimination who rested. You heard that. The family rested. The slaves rested. The animals rested. This rest is a communal celebration. So it allows for those quiet Sunday afternoon naps. It allows for the large dinner gathering with friends, family, neighbors to be respected. It allows for more focused time with the family that maybe you don't get throughout the rest of the week to be respected. It allows for the closing of a business that's open the other six days to be respected. So I hope we're hearing that that this day in particular, it's different than just another day off. Different than just what we would do on other restful days. There's going to be similarities, maybe with physical rest or enjoyment, but it's a day consecrated to the Lord. A celebration of who we are in Christ, what we are to be about the other six days. So if our focus, as soon as we read this command, or as soon as we have a conversation with a brother or sister, if our focus is on what we may or may not do on the Lord's day, then, then we're camping out with the Pharisees. If that's where we're going right away. Doing exactly what they did with the Sabbath. We can be faithful in celebrating the Lord's Day without uniform observance. Our uniformity comes in our desire as a body to obey, to consecrate the day. We do not need to be uniform in how we fill it. So we obey this command in in worship, working to enjoy the day, and the work of the kingdom. Uh, Westminster uh, Catechism, it says, that this day is for worship as well as those works of necessity and mercy. You know, we've been instructed to carry each other's burdens. Maybe there's an opportunity to come alongside a brother or sister on this day uniquely. Um, to serve them. God refreshes us through His people. Through the encouragement of the church. Maybe it's a visit, a phone call, taking a walk. That, those are good things to do on the Lord's day. You know, this may seem pretty obvious, but sometimes you've got to take the trash out because it stinks. The diapers have to be changed on Sunday. You know, things like that are, are necessities. You know, you've got to wash a, a load of laundry or something to be prepared for something that you couldn't get to. Um, and there are some occupations that require work on the Lord's Day. I mean, think of the, the transportation industry, healthcare workers. You know, growing up, I always thought it was so rude and disruptive when somebody's beeper would go off in the middle of worship. I thought this is such a, and you know, it, is, it sort of draws your attention, right? But we can be thankful that there are those who are going to help in an emergency situation, which still happen on Sundays. Now, if we are in a vocation, if we're in a position that 
does not allow for rest or does not respect this rhythm of work and rest, then we need to take stock. Really evaluate carefully. Um, and if there's changes that, that need to be made. But works of necessity and mercy are expected on the day of rest. Um, so let's hear that the gift of God celebrated this pattern of work and rest each week. The verse in 1 Samuel says, Those who honor me, I will honor. That verse was handed to Eric Little before breaking the world record in a race he wasn't even expected to, uh, to touch. But the pleasure of God was his pleasure. And if it pleased God to set apart a day as holy unto himself, it pleased Eric Little as well. So may you and I be pleased to delight in the heart of God, setting apart this day, observing it, enjoying the day of celebration, enjoying a day of dependence upon Christ. It will feed your soul, feed your faith. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this word. We continue to ask your help in, in obedience. Lord, you know what it is we need, and so often we don't believe it. Because there are things we could probably think of that we could be doing or would want to do or aren't getting done. And yet, Lord, we have heeded your call to come to worship together as your people. Lord, as you feed us and encourage us, build our faith, deepen our love and affection for the Lord Jesus, our rest. Lord, we thank you that that rest is ours now. And we look forward to that big show of celebration and worship of the Lamb of God for all eternity. Lord, we're grateful for this rehearsal. May we go about it well. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.